Are you ready to ring in the new year? Is anybody ever? On today's show, we're going to see what we can do to help. First things first, how can you bring in the new year if you've still got a dried out Christmas tree sitting in the corner of your living room? You got to throw that thing out. But here's a question. What happens to it next? Does it just go to some kind of giant Christmas tree farm in the sky? We sent an editor to find out. Then we're going to talk about a new drink you might taste if you're welcoming 2016 from Chicago. And if you want to start 2016 with the flavor burnt band-aids on your tongue. Finally, in a forward-looking edition of Stupid or Amazing, we asked the question, in 2016, will all of our shirts have solar-powered shoulder pads? I'm Kevin Dupsick, and this is How Your World Works. with me right now editorial assistant cameron johnson and cameron it is depending on what day we release this it's officially five or six days after christmas what state is your christmas tree in right now it's probably brown and dry it's probably been in uh your house for about a month just covered in ornaments weighing it down you're probably not watering it as regularly as you should it's a it's definitely a fire hazard yeah you turn the lights on one more time it's going up in flames you should you should get that out of your house okay so i don't know about you where I grew up, you literally just kicked the tree to the curb, and it was the suburb, so you could actually kick it out the door and get it there. Now I live in an apartment, but it's actually the same thing. I just put the tree on the curb, and then magically it disappears one day. Who knows where it goes? Yeah. Well, you know where it goes, I hope. That's why I invited you here. Yes, but if you just kick it to the curb, it might not go where you want it to go. Uh, yeah, but so when I was growing up, we lived in uh, we lived on a big plot, so we'd either just throw it in the woods, or uh, someone in our neighborhood would have a tree burning ceremony which feels a little pagan now that i talk about it and i don't think well the tree's not in the bible you know that yeah i know so the whole thing's pagan i meant (laughs) that's a fair point (laughs) so there are actually a lot of programs that you can use to recycle your tree like in new york if you're one of the eight million people who live here uh there's a thing called mulch fest which happens every year they'll actually chip it down for you and they'll give you a bag of mulch if you have a garden or they'll take it for you and they'll recycle it. They'll chip it down and they'll use it uh, around the city. And last year they uh, they recycled over 30,000 trees, which seems like a lot. But in a city of 8 million people, there's got to be more than 30,000 trees yeah, out there. Yeah, it sounds like there's a few tree burnings going on. Yeah. Somewhere or, we're, not, we're not aware of. Yeah. Okay, but so this, this, is, a, this is interesting, though, that, that this kid's like, this is your last chance to be giving at Christmas, is that your tree can do some good. Yeah. In cities and towns all over the country, they'll, if you, either they'll come pick up your tree for you and turn it into mulch, or you can go drop off your tree and they'll do the same. And I feel like it's one of the best ways you can recycle your tree because it, I mean, it becomes nutrients for other plants later on. But there are also a lot of other things that may seem a little less conventional that you wouldn't even think of. Like uh, in Reno, Nevada, if you bring your tree to the Truckee Meadows Fire Department, um, between the 26th of December and January 10th, uh, they will donate your tree to a goat farm. Because <laughs> what? Goats love Christmas trees. From what I've read, that goats have four stomachs, and the pine needles actually help clear out their system, and they're they're a natural dewormer. So they get rid of the worms if, if they eat them. And 
about six goats can take down a regularly sized Christmas tree in under an hour. <laughs> what? And they can eat up the two trees per day. So it's actually, I mean, it's a good way to get rid of Christmas trees. And it's not as fast as a piranha can strip a cow. Yeah. But, I mean, it's still pretty But it's pretty faster amazing. than a fire, probably. Yeah. That seems faster than, like, literally, I think that's faster than a fire. Yeah. And then that's also happening in places like Burlington, Vermont. And I'm assuming anywhere, if you live near a goat farm, you can probably ask the goat farmer, would you like my Christmas tree? And they'll probably say yes. Also happening in Burlington, Vermont, actually, is they have a biomass plant that takes... Um, 2% come from scrap wood, uh, mostly from uh, the wooden waste yard depot in Burlington, and apparently a lot of that is Christmas trees. So if you donate to the wooden waste yard depot, you actually might be powering your own home at some point, which is pretty cool. Dude, every single one of these is like a new version of the circle of life I never imagined before. Yeah. Okay, so electricity, goat food, mulch, anything else? Also, apparently, Christmas trees are great fish habitats. It started a, a couple years ago in Portland, Oregon. Uh, a conservation group called Trout Unlimited began collecting Christmas trees um, and putting them in rivers to protect baby coho salmon from predator fish. And actually, all over Kentucky, um, thanks to the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources, they have drop-off points, and they will put your Christmas trees in lakes, creating, for lack of a better term, a reef, mm-hmm. a Christmas reef. I like it. That I almost like worked. It. No, it does work, I think. All right, it plays. Um, and uh, <laughs> they put the trees in there, and they're natural uh, nesting and rearing habitats for game fish, as well as they provide food and shelter for smaller bait fish, which the game fish then eat. And that's actually not just happening in Kentucky. That's pretty much all over the country. I found places in Augusta, Georgia, in Illinois, in Virginia. So it's just another one of those things. If you just go to your local fish and game mm-hmm. or uh, maybe even like a bait shop, and just ask, can I drop off my Christmas tree? They'll probably know what you're talking about. And if they don't, maybe enlighten them. So is there any way to just, like, is there some way to make like, your tree last year round? Is there a way to avoid tree death? Tree death? Yeah. There's a, there's a company um, in California called the Living Christmas Company. And they are only in California right now, but they're probably going to grow. They were on Shark Tank, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but they will rent you a live tree. So... You order it online. If you're within their delivery location, they will bring you a live tree in a pot, roots and all. You can bring it into your house. You can decorate it, put lights on it, put that star on top. And then sometime after Christmas, they will come and take the tree back and replant it so it will stay alive. And you can actually get the same tree every year if you want, if you've grown really attached to that really? one. Really? Like you can request the same? Yeah, it's called a tree adoption program. What, they they bring it to you as roots attached still or what? Yeah, it the the roots are in a pot, so you can't get as tall a Christmas tree as yeah. you you have to get a smaller tree, because the the roots are be above ground. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's still a full Christmas tree. It's probably healthier because it's alive. Yeah, it's probably nice and green. It's definitely nice and green. Uh, less chance of catching fire because mm-hmm. it doesn't dry out. You got to water it every couple of days like you would a regular tree, um, and then at the end of it they. Come and take it. No must, no fuss. So, I mean, I feel like it's actually the best option. So, uh, it's not even quite New Year's yet, but never too early to start planning for next year. Maybe you just adopt a tree right now and you're set for life. Yeah, just get it started. All right. Thanks, Cameron. Thank you. (laughs) 
Okay, so this is our last Higher Worldworks podcast of the year. It's the week between Christmas and New Year's. I don't know about my two guests right now, Jack Detweiler and Peter Martin, but my family just left, so this is the week that I can drink heavily again. And This is like a weird no time for me. I don't know what... I don't even know what year it is or day because no one's in the office. Just it's like the three of us, and then <laughs> that's like, true. This is the entire like the whole office, office yeah. right now. Um, but we're actually going to talk about uh, a drink that our drinks correspondent brought to our attention. It's uh, mainly from Chicago, and it tastes bad, is what I hear. I'm kind of excited to taste it. Apparently, it tastes terrible, and we're all going to find out in a few minutes. So this is something that our drinks correspondent Francine Marukian found. It is a drink native of Chicago. It's called Malort, um, and it. Apparently tastes like people described it as burnt band-aids. Uh, someone Ooh. called it ashtray water. So this is I'm what we get to drink a little bit. Uh, first of all, how do you know? I mean, yeah. are, are you band-aid? guessing what a burnt band-aid smells like? It tastes like maybe like I, beer that tastes like piss. Like I what actually, does that mean? But you have your if your sense of smell contributes so much to your to taste, you have a pretty good idea what a band-aid that, would taste like. That's yeah. my yeah. I can't believe you're defending work. this, but I actually <laughs> is there like a school you go to for learning these things? Because I have heard burnt band-aid as a description for a scotch that I like. So oh, really? I'm wondering if there's just like a book that has these things. Because how are two separate people choosing burnt band-aids? So I watched that documentary, Psalm, which is about the sommeliers exam, the master sommeliers exam, which is apparently unbelievably hard. I mean, it just, I mean, these people spend years of their lives studying for this thing. And one of the elements that they have to do is they have to taste, I forget how many wines, five or something like that, and basically tell like where it's from, what uh, what likely producer it is, what likely wine it is, um, like like down to the vintage mm-hmm. and the name and everything. And then they give tasting notes. And I think that there are definitely within wine circles standard notes that people give. And there's like leather okay. and horse butt. And like these yeah. people will say like <laughs> dirt. Um, but I think, I think sometimes at those high levels, people will make them up as well. And then it's yeah. maybe like your signature one. But if you're high enough up there, then everyone else starts to know it. And so tasting like, circles came yeah. up with burnt band-aid. And then everyone was like, oh, yeah, like burnt party, band-aid. At parties, people are like, that's the burnt band-aid guy. I don't think it's an elite term. I'm going to guess it's a little <laughs> lower level that someone started the burnt band-aid. Um, should we get back to this terrible drink? Yeah. yeah. Um, just a brief history. Malort, it's a wormwood spirit, and wormwood, if anybody's actually heard of it, is probably because you've had absinthe before. They're both based in the same main uh, chemical. So the chemical in wormwood is alpha thujone, and that is what people used to think had hallucinogenic power, and now, as Jackie pointed out a few minutes ago, has been disproven, or at least there's a minor, minor amount compared to what we thought was there a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, I guess apparently it causes liver damage, and they Mm. thought that it was, you know, causing hallucinations, and it's really dangerous for you. And I remember the first time I had it in the U.S., they had re-legalized it. And I was like, so is it still hallucinogenic? Am I going to get high? What's going on? And they were like, uh, no. It turned out they did a bunch of studies, and it was never really enough of it in there to do it in the first place. It was just kind of like an, you know, an extreme measure that people took. And maybe it was just you know, everyone, in, everyone drinking the Green Fairy in yeah. Paris during the Lost Generation was uh, maybe they were just crazy art people that got drunk. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm sure know? some absinthe producer was like just talking it up so people would keep Buy buying it, it. bringing it in the U.S. It yeah. makes it much more exciting than just this is another way to get drunk. Yeah. Yeah. This stuff was first made in the 1930s by a guy named Carl Jepson uh, in Chicago. It's a very Chicago drink, apparently. I've never seen it anywhere, but uh, Katie yeah. McDonald, our uh, assistant the editor-in-chief, was out in Chicago last week, and she actually had a shot of this. Somebody brought it to her. Well, so. How did it become a Chicago thing? Like, why Chicago? I think because... Carl Jepsen lived in Chicago and he made it there, but it became kind of a, a city joke where you, you give it to new people that came in. So tourists would be like, come have a shot of this drink, see if you oh, like it, uh-huh. and then stupid tourists would try it. They would make faces. It would be funny. So it's like a secret wonder... handshake almost oh. of Chicago yeah. drinkers. But why wouldn't it expand farther than that? 
I have no idea. Because well, probably we're going to find out. It tastes terrible. <laughs> so bad. Yeah. Um, all right. So the one we have today, uh, Malort is actually trademarked. It was just uh, Jepson's people trademarked it in 2013. Not the same Carl Jepson from the 1930s, but his and, his progeny. Oh. Uh, and also actually, not Carly Rae yeah, Jepson. <laughs> yes. well, call me maybe. Or was they, that his progeny? And they moved it to Florida. So if you're if you're drinking actual Malort, it's no longer made in Chicago. But the one that we have is from uh, a little distillery called Leatherby in Chicago. And it is, since you cannot use the term Malort, it's called Besk, which is Swedish for bitter. Um, so we kind of know what we're getting into. Yeah. Should we drink it? Let's drink yeah, it. Let's well, drink but it. Before, before you drink it, I want to teach you one more thing about it. I'm going to teach you how it's made. No. Um, it's made through a process that called maceration. So they take a very pure alcohol and then they just put things in it. The alcohol is cold and then you stick um, like organic botanicals. You stick spices. Mm. So in this one, in the best, it's got a star anise and grapefruit and then apparently a whole bunch of secrets based on the guy who runs Leatherby. <laughs> so we can only the give you a couple things. The secrets are my favorite part. <laughs> That's what really makes it, makes it Leatherby. All right, so we have a little, it's shaped like a flask, just in case anybody wants it. Um, we'll do little, little shots. We'll do generous shots because it's New Year's. Oh, that smells intense. Smells I, like I'm kind of excited. I actually tend to like stuff like this, like the really like, Herbaceous Italian like things dish that, soap. that like hurt. But good yeah. dish soap. It smells like medicine dish soap that you kind of want to drink. It smells I like would... it smells like gin one fifty one. Yeah. Oh, it is a hundred proof. Oh well. So goodness. Should be, be ready Cheers. for that. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Happy twenty sixteen. It's not bad. I think it's pretty good. I like it. Chicago people are wimps. Yeah. I don't taste any band aid in this at all. I don't taste burnt band aids at all no. either. I don't smell burnt band aid. Well, Maybe it's well, but you know what? This is a new formulation, too. This could be better than the, the original could, The original might taste band-aidier. So Besk and Malort. <laughs> Not as gross of a drink as Chicago would have you think. It's not so bad. No, I think it's pretty good. There are far worse things in Chicago. Oh, absolutely. The weather, for example. Hey, I just met you. All right, so for the last Stupid or Amazing of the Year, we're going to take a look at GoPlug Bags. So uh, this is a brand of bags to make a messenger bag and a backpack. They have power built in. There's a lithium battery, a solar panel, and then a three-prong outlet. I think there's also USB ports and stuff, but to me that's kind of the big ticket item is the three-prong outlet on my messenger bag. We're going to find out if this is Stupid or Amazing. Jackie Detweiler, Peter Martin, you guys hung around from our <laughs> discussion of Malort. Yeah, we're still... Uh... Still trying to digest it over here. Yeah. Yeah. It's still inside Kevin. <laughs> it's, it's still inside me. Kevin had a bit of a Malort mishap. It was it was tough. <laughs> we should point out too that this is the go plug bags are not available till next summer. They're they're supposed right. to be available this month and then they had to back off because I don't know, things were exploding. Apparently things were dangerous in the bag production, so they're finding a new factory and doing it again. Yeah, but. so it's a it's a Kickstarter campaign that was funded. It just had some production issues. Um, do you want to start the, the discussion, Peter? I would like to start it, only because I think that there are already better examples of this out there, only in, for hiking. A lot of, that's the only time mm-hmm. I've ever seen something like this where you just throw a solar panel on your bag and then you can charge stuff up, and I think that is smarter because when you are hiking, you are not two minutes away from a Starbucks. Um, I just can't imagine. This, this bag has a full outlet, like a wall outlet in the side of it, and it just looks ridiculous. You can plug anything you want into it. It'll charge your laptop three times on one full battery, um, charge your phone like 30 times. Can I play devil's advocate? 
I mean, I think oh, that's my job. We might be on the same team. No, <laughs> I, I actually think no, I actually think it could be amazing. And I've traveled internationally a lot, but I, I'm really bad about like getting the right converter when you get to. And even it's if true. you have the right converter, sometimes you you know you you have the plug converter, but then the voltage is wrong, and you need like a voltage converter or whatever. Yeah, I, I think I, it's yeah. overkill. Like I get hungry, I don't carry a full chicken in my bag all day. <laughs> so, I just think that maybe it's, I mean, maybe it's like, you know, multi-use. Like, yes, I could get a Mophie, but that's all that the Mophie does. And so then yeah. I have this Mophie around that does nothing else. Well, I was going to say that I think, I mean, there's a whole separate set of questions, which is like, how heavy is this thing? Does it, I don't know, does it look nice with this? Like, it's a, the, so the outlet is actually like reversible. That part's pretty cool. It's kind of cool, but it's also kind of dumb neat. looking, I think. <laughs> but it has a blue LED around it that lights up. Wait, what do you mean by reversal? Cool. So the so the outlet is on the side of the so for the messenger bag, for example, the outlet is on the side of the bag, and one side has like the three prong outlet, and then you actually just spin it around for and a then DC like outlet. The, yeah. Oh. Um. I mean, my thing is international travel. I didn't see that coming, so that I could be wrong. But at least in the U.S. I mean, how often do you guys actually have something die? Like, I think the solution right. to this problem is just that batteries are going to get better. And they're already so much better that it's like, I don't... Two years ago, I took my laptop power cord with me. Now, I never take it anywhere. It stays on my desk. That's it. Same thing with my phone. Like, I can remember in college, if I was, like, browsing anything online, like, my phone battery was dead after, like, two classes. Now, I never get below, like, 30% unless I don't charge it overnight. My, so phone, just, my phone dies pretty... I just got a new iPhone 6S, and it dies pretty easily. But I also, like, am constantly on it doing stuff. Um, work. Yeah, work. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mostly. Yeah. This did remind me of... I don't know if you guys remember over the summer, just of people trying to plug their phones in wherever they could at bars and things like that. That kid that tried to plug his phone in on the Broadway show, Hand to God, on stage, there was an outlet, an outlet that did not work because it was part of the set, and this 19-year-old kid went up and plugged his phone in before the show started <laughs> seriously and, yeah. like where on the stage like toward on the back the, no like on the side he walked up the stairs he plugged it in on the side of the thing and oh uh, my god and it was right before the show was about to start and the ushers unplugged his phone which didn't matter because it didn't work there's no right, power to it right. he sat him back down um i mean he was obviously an idiot he was 19 <laughs> yeah and he was there with his family he said he'd had a few drinks which makes you question his, <laughs> his parents child rearing wow. strategy um that that's really that you wouldn't think, like, maybe I shouldn't do that. But if yeah. that kid had this backpack... Then he wouldn't have done that. Yeah. And then none of us would know what an idiot is. Well, so what about this? How about... This is another part I don't think we've really addressed. Is the the solar panel strategy? So there's, like, two carabiners, and it's, like, a solar panel that you kind of, like, hang off the bag, and it charges your, your batteries. You go around. Solar panels are getting cheaper and cheaper. Is this a thing? Are we going to start having accessories on our person that just have solar panels hanging on them? And is that stupid or amazing? Maybe not hanging, but built in would be smart. I think I mean, it'd be awesome. Why shouldn't you have that on your backpack? Yeah, I think it'd be awesome if they could get it to the point where like you've got solar thread or something. Right. And just all of your shirts have solar thread in them. And so when you put it on, then your shirt's just charging. Yeah, it, I think in order for that to really work is it has to be uninvasive. Yeah. At maximally uninvasive because you wear clothes. I mean, you know, let's be honest. A lot of us wear clothes to look good, <laughs> good for right, each other. Yeah. It has you know? to not look stupid. You don't want, if it looks stupid, like some people will use it, but most people will not. But if you can make it effortless and attractive looking and you can just weave some sort of thread or whatever, you got shoulder pads or something that, that charges, um, I think that people, I would definitely use that. You shoulder know? pads? Well, I, I meant, I meant, <laughs> I meant like, um, I meant like those, okay, you know, on the military, you know, military jackets and sweaters, like how they have the epaulette yeah. sorts of things yeah. or something is what I meant. That I think would be, you would use that, right? And then you just like plug your phone into your shirt. 
Yeah, no, I think I think that part's actually pretty amazing. I don't think having it hanging by carabiners meets the aesthetically pleasing threshold yet, but um, I think the bag is unnecessary to me. But I think the idea of having a solar panel that you can just easily deploy from something that you have with you all the time is actually a great idea. I think overall the bag's stupid, but I think that is something that will probably happen more often, and it probably will be because we figure out how to sew it onto things. Mm -hmm. Also, we didn't mention the price. Um, I just was surprised. I thought it would be much more expensive. It's not cheap, but it was two twenty nine for the backpack and two thirty nine for the messenger bag, which is like pretty. Yeah, that's it's like pretty fair price for, for that. Messenger considering bag. the technology yeah. that's in it. That's that's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, it's easy to part. spend a lot more than that on just a you know non battery yeah messenger bag. So Kevin, you think? I think stupid. I think I think stupid also. I'm actually I'm gonna go with amazing. I never do that, but I'm gonna go with amazing. Um, even though, even though, like, I wouldn't buy one, but, um, I don't think that it's, I think that it's on the way to the next sort of innovation. And so I think that, you know, an interim step, we shouldn't disparage the interim step. So I'm going to say it's amazing. All right. So by a two to one vote, stupid, but maybe looking forward to the future. But promising. Stupid, but promising. Stupid, but promising, I think is great. I think that's the first time we've used promising as a caveat from someone we voted (laughs) stupid. And that's our show. How Your World Works is produced by Jack Dillon. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes and while you're in there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. Also, don't forget to check out our sister show, The Most Useful Podcast Ever. And if you want to read more about Malort, Burt, Christmas Trees, or Go Plug, check out our website, popularmechanics.com podcasts. While you're there, know that you can subscribe to both the print and digital editions of Popular Mechanics magazine for just $13.99 for one year. I'm Kevin Dubsick. Thanks for listening.